0: They're laughing kind of like, yeah, what would you expect a bunch of Beery jocks to be doing on a Saturday afternoon in New Hampshire, but arm wrestling the biggest guy in the room and then they they go and I sit back and I have to say I'm a little bit concerned because I don't want to see my brother lose.
1: Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Kurt and I will tackle one question and answer it as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. This week, our feature storyteller is none other than Kurt. Kurt's got a nine-minute story. And when he's finished, he and I will tackle this week's question, why does wonder matter in storytelling? Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in.
0: It is good that my brother is not wearing a thousand band-aids on his hands, and it's it's really good that when he shows up, he's not wearing those little white gloves that he tells me keeps him safe, which is weird because... They are really little, these white gloves he wears, and he's a great big mountain of a man. He's visiting me today at college. I'm 20 years old and he's 24. It should be normal enough, except nothing's really normal right now because I haven't seen a whole lot of my brother in the last two years. I've been at college here in New Hampshire, and he's been all the way in New Zealand before the internet when we couldn't afford to make long-distance calls, when we kept in touch with the occasional letter. And his reports from the South Pacific were always so fascinating to me. He was living in a shack with his girlfriend. In the corner of a room, there was a sack of potatoes, and it sounded like they were, like, living off of that while he pecked away at the great American novel. That was the dream for him and for, well, I was that kind of little brother. It was my dream, too. now he's visiting me at college. And, you know, every time I've ripped open one of these letters, I've been telling my good friends all about my brother. And you would think that we're getting a visit today from like Ernest Hemingway or something. And here comes the world traveler through the yard. But I cannot bear to watch because my friends, they're the types of guys, they're going to shake your hand or they're going to give you a big bear hug. And I know for a fact, my brother, he doesn't want to be touched when he finally comes in the house, I do see that he's not wearing Band-Aids and he's not wearing those little white gloves. And it gives me a huge sense of relief. But in his hand, there is a cold six pack of beer, which would have been a lot cooler if it were like a gift for us. But once we settle into the living room for a little while, it's very clear that this beer is just for him. And, you know, it's a college camp. We, We get up and we get our own beers and we hang out in the living room. One thing about me is, you know, I'm 20 years old and I've got it all lined up. You know, I've got my major, I go to my classes, I've got these great five friends. And every once in a while, I even have a girlfriend and it makes life really interesting. But I'm not really, I can't tell you that I'm, I'm a happy person. I'm not, not really comfortable in my skin, at least. And the way this plays out is I, I don't take care of myself very well at all. Like I drink black coffee by the gallon and I I smoke one cigarette after another. I don't eat well. And at night, sometimes I drink a little too much like all my literary heroes did. And I definitely don't sleep. But in one way I've really lucked out. It's, it's these friends that I keep mentioning. And you know what, I'll call them jocks, but they're all to a man, really smart guys. And they're all like good at making people feel more comfortable with themselves. And that's what they're doing with my brother right now as we're sitting drinking beers on these ratty couches in this ratty house. And I'm looking at my brother and I'm thinking, you know what, man, you're just not trying hard enough. Uh, and, and like when it's time to smile or laugh, he just gives us like little wry smile I'm like, dude, wh- what are you holding out for these guys are trying and then, you know, and then after a while it's, it's kind of quiet. Then my friend Joe, uh, I'll call him uh, Joey Tanktop. he jumps off the couch across the room and he points at my brother and he says, Do you want to arm Russell. And I know the answer to that. My brother, the German, he doesn't want to touch. He doesn't want to arm wrestle anybody. But and I'm surprised, you know, because he gets up and he's smiling like almost with his whole mouth this time. And, uh, you know, this is jock talk. This is what jocks do. They take measure of each other. And my brother's the biggest guy in the room. And all these guys, they just want to see how strong this barrel chested dude is. And so to much to my surprise, my brother's like, yeah, I'll, I'll arm wrestle you. And there they all go off the couches into the next room where there's this little round table where they can arm wrestle, like as if we'd ever done this before. And everybody's kind of laughing. Like I said, they're jocks, but it's they're, they're laughing kind of like, yeah, what would you expect a bunch of Beery jocks to be doing on a Saturday afternoon in New Hampshire? But arm wrestling, the biggest guy in the room. And then they, they go. And I sit back and I have to say I'm a little bit concerned because I don't want to see my brother lose. And all these guys are, they're actually division one athletes. And so they have coaches hanging over them, telling them to lift weights every week. And my brother, I can tell, he used to live that kind of life in college. He was that way, but his chiseled features have gone a little soft and it's not from clean living. And also he's a lefty and I, he's going to have to arm wrestle these guys with his off hand and he's going to have to arm wrestle every one of them. So after Joey tank top, it's going to be Chad with a six pack abs and then it's going to be Smitty who's built like a brick shit house, and then it's going to be Billy the, the baseball pitcher and then it's going to be Jimmy. I'm going to be Hollywood famous after college and I never lose and I never look bad. Well. My brother takes on each one of them and he beats each one of them and i have to tell you in my heart it's fireworks cuz i might be 20 years old but still my brother he's 24 he's still like my hero <laughs> i don't know if you should be doing that but that's the way it is in the rest of the night it's it's like a lot of nights in college we go to some house and there's some keg and blah 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 and it gets blurry and you know in the morning i wake up alone and uh, and, and there's no one around, and and then the phone rings. It's my brother, and he's like not calling from a payphone downtown or anything. No, he's calling from 60 miles away, from my parents' house. He's like, hey, uh, you know, I I couldn't find you at the end of the night. I'm like, oh Jay, that's his name. I Jay, I'm so sorry. I it, was, it just got a little blurry. He's like, I know, me too. But I, so I just slept in the car, and it was really cold, and I just started and I just drove home. And we're laughing about this and we're laughing about the party and the arm wrestling and meeting my friends. And we are just going over what I thought was a really good time. And then he asked me, you know, like, tell me more about your friends. And he doesn't want to know like what their majors are or what their plans are for after college or where they plan to live. No, because look, my brother is, uh, a good looking 24 year old man who graduated from college with honors, but the way his mind is working right now, it's just not right. And when he wakes up in the morning and he looks at his hand, he sees a cut. Whether it's real or not, it's real to him. And then when he goes over the night, he thinks about the arm wrestling and he gets it in his mind that, well, maybe one of those guys he was arm wrestling with, maybe one of those guys um, has HIV I know it's a big leap, but this is the way my brother thinks. And he actually thinks that, well, the cut on his hand might magically line up, but take the magic out of it. It just happens in my brother's mind this way. And these cuts meet each other while they're arm wrestling. And somehow this way, my brother is infected with HIV. I know this because this is the way my brother wakes up every morning. He wakes up at 7 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 1 a.m. to the sound of the other shoe dropping. To this voice that says, you fucked up and now you're going to die. And his main obsession, he's not going to touch doorknobs, tell it, it sees people or anything. Everything's germy, But his main obsession is HIV and AIDS. This is the early 90s. And it's not... Look, you know, there was that period in the 80s where we were we thought that AIDS was something, unfortunately, that happened to gay men. But we're way past that now. And Magic Johnson has said, you know, that he's HIV positive. My brother's asking me, your friends, your athlete friends, are they sleeping around and not using condoms? I'm like, what do I tell the guy, the poor guy? What do I say? My brother. On the phone calling from my parents' house where he lives right now, penniless. The American dream really hasn't worked out for him so well just yet. And I imagine him like, is he wearing all those Band-Aids right now? Is he talking to me on the phone with those white gloves on that he puts on to make him feel safe? And I think, you know, what I've done to him, like to make a hero out of him, No one's ever done that to me. You know, that's really not not fair to do to somebody, is it? And I know while I have them on the phone, I know nothing about OCD, absolutely nothing. But I can tell this is going to be a while. I also know that I really care about my brother. And I'm going to meet him where he is. It doesn't matter how he shows up, my brother and me. Before we get off the phone, he knows. We both say it. I love you.
1: Our feature storyteller, Kurt Mullen, up in Massachusetts. Yes, the same Kurt Mullen who I'm about to have a conversation with. We're going to talk about wonder. What is it and why does it matter in storytelling? Let's dive in. One of the big questions I have is like, you decide to start the story with these white gloves and you could have started any number of ways but that's what you did so what is going on with those white gloves why is that why why the gloves
0: glad it sticks out for you because that's the point of starting the story you want to stick you want to start with something that might be might be remembered, you know, that might, might be attractive in a way that might, you know, by the end of the story, someone might remember how it started and maybe it all comes together. That's always a hope. The white gloves actually come from feedback. It wasn't a thought I had, it was like buried in my original story, but someone in giving me honest feedback, someone named Richard said, Hey, what if you started with those white gloves? And I thought for a second, well, I don't know. That just, yeah, maybe because what I got going on right now isn't really working. So White Gloves was just a way of, it's a stand-in for what my brother was going through. And then when I really got to thinking about it, it really like became emblematic of the time. Hadn't seen my brother very much in two years. He was someone I really looked up to. Then he shows up, comes back to the country, shows up at my college, and he's this great big guy, and he's got these little white gloves. Or so I feared that he's going to show up that way. And so I'm, I'm thinking about, what is the story? Well, it's it's about my brother showing up differently for me. And what sort of represents that best? What can I stick in the very first thing that comes out of my mouth in that story, that lead? And it's like those friggin' white gloves. These little pieces of fabric that I'm like worried that he's
1: going to embarrass me with them. So when you made that choice to start there and then the way you actually crafted it for me, for me, and I think you're a very talented storyteller. I want to be very honest because I don't want this to be just me blowing smoke up your ass. It really, two questions pop into my mind and they're good questions, I think, for this story. Why is he maybe wearing those white gloves? I'm thinking that. And there's an interesting contrast with a big dude in his 20s wearing these little white gloves. It's a, just a, what? And why is Kurt afraid or worried about that? Most of the time, we really don't give a shit about your life. We don't. We, we act nice and say, of course, you got to get us engaged. Our default is probably not going to be, yep, yeah, you have my full attention for 10 minutes, 100% no matter what.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, authenticity and being genuine are so important to storytelling. So you can't assume that people are going to care what you have to say. So you have to try a little. And how do you try as a human being? Well, you try to be real. Uh, And so by offering, by putting the white gloves up front, what do I say right after? I say, this could embarrass the shit out of me. What else do I say? I say, well, it's my hero wearing these white gloves. So I don't know how I, what better way for me to sort of say, hey, look, I know I want you for 10 minutes. So I'm going to be real because this is going to be worth my time and yours. Can I explain everything in the first four sentences? No, but I promise you I'm, there's going to be a pay. You're going to find out about the white gloves and they will be important.
1: That's a good point, right? So you need to I don't know if the words need to, because it's not required in every story, but a lot of good stories I hear, there are elements of wonder, and it is often very early on. That's not an accident that people who are adept at this craft do that. We need answers now, though, don't we? we? We need to know why he might be wearing those white gloves, which we find out, and why Kurt is worried about it. And we find out. And if you didn't do that, I wouldn't be very happy with you, Kurt.
0: Dude, you didn't, there was no, that story did not satisfy. You gotta, you gotta come around. You gotta give satisfaction.
1: Right. I, as the listener and you as the teller, we're making a deal and I'm going to give you this information and it's going to make you wonder. I hope I'm going to answer that question. Just uh, be patient. I'm going to, I'll get there though.
0: Yeah, you, you're totally right. And it's, this is since the beginning of storytelling. In fact, like people call, you know, like Charles Dickens as a novelist has been called like a contract storyteller or a contract novelist in that he makes a contract with the reader. Everything I put out, I'm going to deliver on. I'm not going to try to be vague. I'm going to be right. artful because I'm an artist. I'm Charles Dickens. I'm actually a genius. And But I'm going to deliver on every last thing. You're not going to be at the end of this long story. You're not going to be saying, yeah, but what did he mean by... Because that's
1: not satisfying. And when we get the information that we were hoping to get, it feels really good. That is the right word. Satisfying. Yeah. How do you make the listener feel satisfied? Well, there's several things one you could do. One of them is you plant that seed. They're wondering about it. And as you're moving along your story, we get that answer. I
0: understand that the listener's smart. The audience is smart. They're going to get, want to fill in. There's some satisfaction in connecting your own, the dots.
1: You could argue it even makes it more powerful because by them you're giving them, I don't know if the word is agency, but they're getting to do some of it and they want to.
0: Yeah, they totally do.
1: I do. And other people I've talked to, they they want that. They, oh shit. That's the white glove. That's why. Yeah. That's why he was worried. Right. That's why his brother's maybe doing that. Oh Okay. Now you could also explicitly say it. Uh, I wouldn't do it in the beginning because you would then, the whole idea of wonder is gone. Maybe at the end, just to be sure you might say it, but if you do your job well and you craft it well, or like, I like the way you say artfully, the great majority of the people are going to be able to get it. And that feels good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, isn't that like a, a trick about storytelling though? It's like you got this 10 minute story and as the teller, you're like, shit. I got to, I want to really remember to, to like circle back around. I want to get those white gloves in at the end, in other words, or in the middle. And like, sometimes you do. (laughs) And sometimes you're like, Oh shit, you know, but a lot of times it's like, you know what? I think they got it.
1: Right. And I think that, and again, a, a conversation for another day about the importance of workshopping or working with people, whether it's one person or small, whatever it is, who can say you know what there's a couple loose ends here that i that i don't know if you want them to be so loose cuz as the teller as the crafter it's, you can get in your own way it's hard to sometimes see through all that yeah even if you're solo going through your story i have these checklists these this list of things yeah. and i do it separately i don't do it all at the same time mm-hmm. and and so for example it's like where can i add this where can i add more surprise where can i clarify my dialogue related to that is Where might this story have some loose ends? I want my audience to wonder, but I don't want, I I want to control the wandering a little bit. I don't want them to go somewhere and not come back. I don't want them to be thinking, wait, why didn't, I I never got that information about this thing that he started in the beginning. And it seems so important So, me as the person who's putting something together. That's one thing I go through. Yeah, you get into some of these more complex stories. It's really easy. To overlook some of this oh, stuff. Oh,
0: totally. And I just wrote down I, the checklist is a great freaking idea. I mean, there's this whole idea like the uh, the New Yorker writer and Doctor Atul Gawande wrote a whole book called The Checklist, which might have been like a bestseller. And it's about how you can doctors and nurses can prevent a whole bunch of infection in the in the hospital setting just by following a checklist. Did yeah. You wash your hands. Yep. Put your gloves on. Yeah. You know, did you touch these things? And like, yeah. totally, you could do it in any area of your life. Yeah. The thing uh, about Wander is, and, and the reason it makes it's a good topic to what, like teach in a storytelling class or to chat about it amongst friends on a podcast or in feedback is, it's not something that we ever get taught. Like people don't, in regular families, at least, the ones I know, but the dad and the mom don't sit the kid down and tell them like, this is how you create interest. This is how you get people to listen to you. This is how you command attention. This is how you make your life go a little bit better. This is how you become more clear. So wonder is like, you go a along in life. You're like, if you're me, you're like, oh, the storytelling thing might be for me. And then you start to look into what the good storytellers are doing. And sometimes, not all the time, because some great storytellers will start a story with like a setup and a punchline. Mm -hmm. And it puts everybody at ease. There doesn't necessarily have to be a ton of wonder associated with it. But you see someone in full command of what's about to come out of their mouth. They tell a joke. They put you at ease. Everybody laughs. It's a great. And it it gives them confidence. Mm -hmm. Now, wonder is sort of the same thing because when it's put together in a certain way, And it's told in a certain way, and people start to understand, they pick up that, oh, you're going to be delivering, oh, I see you're circling back to certain things. Oh, okay, I can trust you. I'm going to stick around for the sixth minute, the seventh minute. I need to know. I trust you to deliver on wonder. Here's the other thing. As a listener, now I'm in the listener's seat again. I'm thinking... Well, the way that I think, the way that we all think when we're listening to stories is we're like, oh, what's coming next? It Like neuroscience proves this out. Like we are trying to predict. We're connecting with you and what you have to say if you're doing it well. And you're not being a jerk. You're not being pompous. And you're just being authentic and genuine. I might be like, oh, okay. So, so wait, what happens next? All the time you just sort of pre- try to predict the future. So wonder does that to you too. Because then you're like, minute six, you're like, okay, so what's up with these gloves? What's up with this guy in journals? What's going on? Like, is this OC? He hasn't said OC. Is this this a mental illness? Like, he hasn't said it. It just causes further engagement, deeper engagement with the listener. I think we're
1: always trying to make meaning, right? We're always trying to make meaning in our lives. We're meaning-making machines. And I think that's what you're leveraging when you do that. I'm going to introduce this thing. It's not random and arbitrary. It's absolutely related to the story.
0: Yeah. It's a choice
1: I made. I thought about it. I crafted it. I got all that stuff. Something else that should be said is that it's not just something you could do at the very beginning. You can, and it might be the only place in which you sort of uh, set that up. But you might also add it throughout the story in moments to remind us, oh, hey, there's this white glove thing, by the way. I haven't forgotten. Don't worry. But you're working it in the story about something with the white gloves or, and you are maybe adding it in the second or fourth minute. So, hey, uh, listeners, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. And it's still important. It stick with me here because we're moving towards that information that you want. Yeah. You know, you had said earlier uh, a couple of things uh, and one of as is how we learn or we don't learn to do this stuff. And let's say to be engaging. One of the things we learn, most of us in public schools is essays, strong topic sentence, and then support it or defend it or justify it. You usually don't want to do that in storytelling. Get rid of that line and keep going. Yeah. And then you let us, because that's wonder. You're not telling us everything. And when you then continue with your story, we get to do some of that sort of meaning making without you telling us everything. Yeah. You said earlier, audiences are smart. And you, as the person telling the story, trust that they're smart. They will get it.
0: One phrase I, I've read is uh, inf- creating information gaps. Mm. Okay. So we love that shit. Cause we're like trying to fill it in. Cause as you say, we're meaning making machines. So presented with an information gap, like what's it not to keep using my example, but like the white gloves, like there's an information gap. Why, why would some big dude, you know? And then another thing is I remember reading years ago, one of the creators of uh, the Simpsons was like comedy. And you can feel it, it can be storytelling. It skips a step. Mm. In other words, it creates an information gap. And uh, I don't have an awesome example of it right now, but and then it it delivers. So if you tell too much, people get bored is, I think, the meaning of that.
1: Right. They do. You're right.
0: They don't feel trusted, feel maybe subconsciously insulted, and they're just sick of you and they want to go do something else.
1: Right. A better way to approach this is to assume that we as the audience don't really give a shit and your life isn't that interesting. Now, I'm not saying we don't give a shit, and I'm not saying that your life isn't interesting. I think as a storyteller, it's in your best interest, it's better, it makes more sense to approach it that way. It forces you to do some things. One of them is exactly what we're talking about, creating a sense of wonder. If you assume, oh, well, they're here for a storytelling show, of course they care about it, and they seem like nice people they care about me. In fact, I see a few familiar faces. I think that gets you in trouble. And I think that often, I don't know if I'm accurate here, people will smile and say that was really nice. Thank you for sharing that. That was good. I like that particular part. You're not going to hear very often people say, "You know what? Man, I was bored." You lost me. You got to get us early on that. One takeaway from our talk today, if I'm going to say one takeaway, if you're writing a story or you're crafting a story, Got to engage us early. That doesn't mean you need to do fucking cartwheels. That doesn't mean you need to act like a clown or give me some stupid unrelated joke. No, you get me interested or curious or wondering about what is going on. That's all you need to do. It's not necessarily easy, but if you do it, I'm with you. And in your story, Kurt, hey, I want to know right off the bat, why is he maybe wearing these gloves and maybe more important for the sake of the story because it's your story is... Why is Kurt so worried about it? And he <laughs> did it. You're right. There was
0: some, str- within me, there was a strong feeling attached to that, to the gloves. That's what makes made it work for me. That's what made me think, oh, okay, this is a good choice. Because I actually felt an emotional connection.
1: You worried about this guy that you love and how that might work with your friends. I can connect to that. So we're getting into something a little different, but this stuff all overlaps. But right, I was engaged because I was, I connected. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. And don't assume people are just going to connect with you just because you're a good looking, interesting, whatever person. Don't assume people are going to connect with you just because you're telling a story. They're not. And if people say otherwise, and you want to think I'm an asshole for saying that, fine. I'm right. They don't. Work a little harder and make us care. You can do it. I promise you, you can do it. This idea that people tell me, I I don't have stories is malarkey, Kurt. You're a fucking human being on the earth. You have tons of stories. Maybe you haven't been in the right space for people to help you find them. Or maybe you don't trust yourself or maybe you don't know. No, but you got to work it.
0: You know, one thing, you're totally right. And one thing that made this story interesting for me to tell, I liked talking about how family can kind of be a source of embarrassment yeah I know that doesn't sound altogether nice and I think it's clear what my feelings are for my brother there they couldn't be more strong and I'm right. proud of that I'm glad it was that way I was remembering like self-consciousness when I was young particularly and uh actually caring about how he would show up I mean remember I'm, I'm twenty. 20 in this story. Okay. So um, hopefully you get to shake off some of that self-consciousness as you go along in life. Cause I'm more than twice that age now that that's what was happening. And that's part of what caused me to be such a compartmentalizer of people when I was younger, especially like keep these groups separated and I don't have to deal with these feelings. And now as an old person, I was kind of thinking back on a time that I can largely say was a good time for me. But I was just remembering, like, yeah, that guy, I freaking was crazy about that guy. But even him, he could show up and he could embarrass the shit out of me in some ways. I don't know. I just found that to be a source of tension, intention right. for any story. I thought it was a relatable thing to talk
1: about. Look, the, the last couple of lines are, I love my brother. You could have just told us a story about how you love your brother. Great yeah. guy. I mean, he's not perfect. I wasn't perfect. We did a lot of great stuff together. Fun. Loved him. He, oh, he was my hero. It's kind of boring. Kind of boring. Yeah. Not to say it couldn't be a good story. Not to say it couldn't be an engaging story. But the way you chose to do it to, to show us that you love your brother by also getting very real. And some of it isn't always beautiful or isn't always like neat. is an interesting choice. And I think it really works. And in some ways it makes it. Uh, land, for lack of a bit, it landed even stronger.
0: Yeah. Bringing around to uh, the best way, I thought, to begin it all, is to understand that, you know, got to figure out a way to tell this story that may engage people who never laid eyes on me or my brother people who were embarrassed by their family members or love their family members or had both that going on most likely everybody in the world has had that both going on you know yes and so you you say okay how do I start this out how do I connect in a real way that a way that I want to connect not just to be like prostituting some story like oh please like me no you got to tell your story Go that extra step and figure out, OK, what's is this an engaging way to do this? Some stories are going to be like, yeah, maybe I do start with a joke or maybe uh, like Julie Baker. I start out with a, a, a bold statement. Yes. Or sometimes Julie does a bold statement that always uh, also puts a smile on your face. Uh, but there are these choices that you have and this one because of somebody in in our workshop said, uh, why don't you try it with the white gloves? You know, someone else has told me like, hey, why don't you try different beginnings to your stories? Just, just walk around with your recorder and try out different stuff. Yeah. Don't get married to one, one idea. I could think of other ways of starting the story.
1: Right. You, you had another story. It's still not done or if it's done, uh, I don't know if it's completely done. It also relates to your brother. And that story for several versions started with you're driving in a car. Yeah. And eventually you came to the realization. And I don't know if it was with the help of the group or not of who gives a shit. I don't want to waste my audience's time. That's not interesting. So why am I starting there? Can I move it forward? I think you ended up starting later because it didn't matter.
0: Yeah. And then you go on, you make like several versions of it and you're just dumb to it. There's this idea. And and I mean, I got tricked early on when I was trying to write stories like I would listen to a song and I just feel like from the first notes, that song going like right into my veins, like the emotional media immediacy was like right in my veins. And I got to thinking like, isn't that amazing about art, like that it connects so quickly and you don't have to wait a three minute song could just make you act differently in your car. Like you're just rocking back and forth or whatever it is you do when the greatest song in the world comes on. And it's just between you and the song. So I was thinking for a while there that you know maybe all art is that way. And it's about like really being honest with whoever's reading your stuff or watching your stuff. And so what it causes, I think for a lot of people is um, just a lot of blurting. You know, like you you give away any idea or concept of surprise, you just blow it right out of the water. Because you're like, No, no, this is me, this is me, but you're not really making an art of it at all. And I think as you get into this, you're like, oh, okay, so am I being real? If we're going to make a checklist, am I being real at the beginning of the story? Yeah. Can some of this stuff wait? Yeah. Can this be kind of like a card game? Yeah. Can I use my trunk card a little bit later in the story to more, to greater effect? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So do that, you know? So that's, you know, part of what we're learning as we go. Definitely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you for crafting that story. And I like the fact that it's on our podcast because Hey, we get, we're storytellers too. Yeah. One of the things people struggle with is all right. This, I I, I want to be able to apply it. And I want a real specific example of how to take for this, for this particular um, conversation. Well, how do you take something and make it and add some wonder? Yeah, And I'm saying you don't have to, the the events don't have to have changed. You, you make it have more wonder. That's your, that's what you do when you craft a story. Right. Sometimes it's easier than others. Some stories it just, it's almost there. Other stories might not feel as much, but I promise you, you can. Yeah. You absolutely can do stuff that helps us wonder, huh? What does that mean? Where is that going? You are unlike in the past, where storytellers will give us their final word. Right. You're the storyteller.
0: Thank you for having me on, Sean. And thank you for including my story. And you know what? We have said all along, one kind of litmus test that we have for this podcast and getting people to tell stories on this podcast is, is it something that we would be proud to tell our friends who don't listen to stories? Hey, You got to check this out. So I don't know if this is, if my story is one of those stories, but I do happen to know that the five guys that I mentioned in the story, I can't wait for them to hear this story because they've never heard me tell this story before. Right on. So so I'm pretty excited about that.
1: Final words on my end is, has your class started yet?
0: There are some openings. There's still time because we have an extra week. You know, if uh, we start on Monday night, so November 9th,
1: it's a little chance that if we put this out on Thursday, people might be hearing this before your class. I'll put a link or you can just reach out to us The you know, the emails in the show notes. There's an opportunity. It's a beginner's class. Anyone's welcome, right?
0: Everybody learns pretty fast too. And we have a good time. Everybody's challenged and it's uh, five classes long. And I would, I would love it if you joined us.
1: And there's a student showcase that you get to tell your story Mm -hmm. in front of some folks. Obviously, it's virtual right now. So it's cool. I was um, a guest storyteller at Kurt's class a couple weeks ago. It was a lot of fun and everyone was engaged. So I don't want to make this a big plugging promotional thing, but you're good at what you do. So if someone wants to take a class and they like the way we sound, they should hop in. They should do it.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much, John.
1: Thank you for listening from both Kurt and I. And Kurt, don't thank me. Thank you for that story. If you want to follow us on social media, Grit, True Stories That Matter, that's on Facebook. If you've got an idea for a story or maybe a question, you can email us, hello at storygrit.com. One other way you can help. If you're an Apple podcast person, rate or review this podcast. If you're on Spotify, you can subscribe. Not sure exactly how that helps, but apparently it does. We really appreciate your support. We'll see you next week.